Hey everyone, welcome to the Fort Worth OMB podcast. I'm your co-host, Dr. Brian Wong. And I'm your co-host, Dr. Matthew Earl, and we're very excited to be here today. Good morning, Dr. Wong. How's it going, Dr. Earl? What's up? Not much. So, more trach stuff today. Oh, man. So much on trachs. Oh, geez. Okay, let's go. So, as a quick disclaimer, we're going to talk about tracheostomy management today. So, that's going to be a little bit about swapping a trach, managing a crashing trach. If you didn't catch our episode on trach basics, take a look at the previous episode published. That will get you an idea of the really basic stuff for trach care so that you can follow along with what we're talking about today. Now, disclaimer... We're not going to go into the nitty-gritty of every single step in detail about everything, but we're going to try to give you an overarching view about things you need to consider when you're managing a trach patient. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. So the very first thing we need to talk about is what's wrong with the patient? So how do you approach a trach patient who isn't doing well? Essentially, I kind of go through a dopes and mnemonic like uh, any other patient who is intubated. I kind of start off with that Um, because like those are usually the most common complaints that tracheostomy patients come in with. So the number one and number two causes of trach problems are either displacement of the trach and also obstruction of uh, of the trach. Displacement meaning that somehow, some way, the tracheostomy uh, and the trach tube itself got dislodged or maybe like one of the sutures like came out of the patient and now it's kind of hanging off the side and everything. So that's one of uh, the problems that uh, can happen. And obstruction is also a possibility. It's one of the uh, more common ones that I see in the emergency department. So stuff like secretions, poor uh, positioning. When a patient, when you take out like the tracheostomy, the trach tube itself, like sometimes they can just be so caked and gunked up with all that mucus and whatnot. And it's very uncomfortable for these patients to actually try to breathe. And like that's the reason why they're in so much distress and they come in. Um, another thing to kind of really think about is respiratory illnesses. These trach patients can also get sick too, just like any other patients, okay? Whenever they get, you know, the, the, the ventilator-assisted like pneumonias and whatnot, bronchospasms, COPD exacerbations, pneumonias. Um, if like their mucus is kind of like all plugged up within the trach, it can cause, you know, like bronchitis. Tracheitis is also a really bad thing that they need IV antibiotics, multiple days in in the hospital to kind of like help clear the infection in their trachea. And also the very, very simple things of just like respiratory failure, you know, you, they, these patients can get very, very sick too. Cellulitis, you know, infections around their stoma site is also a big one too. So I kind of think about, you know, like kind of go through my differential, my dopes mnemonic, uh, just like any other uh, yeah. clinician would. That sounds great. And, and yeah, I mean, obstruction is the number one cause for patients to have trach problems. And it looks like dried applesauce is caked inside of these things sometimes. You just have to wash them out. It's the reason why I don't eat applesauce yeah, anymore. Yeah, there you go, right? Medicine ruins so many foods for you. The other thing, like you said, so important. Not every patient that has a trach has a problem with their trach for their respiratory distress. There can be other things that are causing them to breathe hard or have a hard time breathing. So don't tunnel vision on the, the equipment Keep in mind that the physiology may be deranged and the trach's completely fine. That's a big thing, too, and I want to stress to our providers out there, you know, don't anchor on one thing. Just because they're saying they're having a difficulty breathing, you got to keep your differential broad and open. So important. So let's talk a little bit about the initial size up. So you're called to a patient with history of tracheostomy, 
in respiratory distress. Not in respiratory failure yet, but in respiratory distress. Number one thing that everybody needs to do with these trach patients is get all of the accessories and junk that we talked about last episode out of the way. You need to see the trach in the right place. Now, the caveat to that is if this is a vent-dependent patient, don't just unhook everything and let them die in front of you, but take off speaking valves, trach caps, the big bulky dressings. Those can hide a lot of problems from you, and it's not unusual for me to pull a bulky dressing off of a trach and find out that it's been almost completely pulled out because of a really aggressive dressing change or just with suctioning or changing BVMs on and off the patients just ended up with the trach partially dislodged. So really important, think of it like trauma. You gotta strip the trach down so you can see what's wrong with it. Once you do that, if the trach is not obviously displaced, you're gonna apply oxygen above and below like we talked about last time. You're gonna get your vital signs, get your end tidal in place to make sure that you're moving air either through the mouth or the trach or both. And if the patient starts to move from respiratory distress to respiratory failure, you already have everything cleared out of your way in case you need to apply that BVM. If this is a baseline vent-dependent patient, you are going to need to switch them from vent to BVM if it comes to transport. But like we talked about last time, don't put any positive pressure through that trach until you know it's in the right place, right? Establish that there's good air movement through that trach because if you bag them through a displaced trach, air is either not going in the patient or it's going in the wrong place. And they're going to get some Rice Krispie treats, but not the exactly. good kind of treats. Not the good Rice Krispie treats, the bad kind that they're under your skin. Keep in mind that if you put nasal cannula-based end tidal on, it may not be ideal. It may work, but it's going to be less ideal than an inline because the patient may not be putting a lot of gas out through their nose or mouth. They may be primarily exchanging air through their trach. So the way I, I think of this is after you've strip the trach down, you're able to directly visualize it, you need to consider the three big things. Is this trach obstruction, like we said, the most common cause? Is this trach displacement within the patient, right? So you can easily see if the trach's not in the right spot, it's like hanging out, but has the trach migrated to the wrong spot within the patient, or is this another cause of respiratory failure? So talk to me a little bit about how we can assess displacement. So you got to take down all those bulky dressings and literally visualize and see if like the trach is displaced. If it is actually just simply displaced, you can try putting it back properly into place and hopefully it'll just fix everything. Um, it is also pro possible that the trach might be uh, dislodged and it's actually in some sort of like a blind track, um, a false passage. Um, like we were saying before, if the trach somehow goes under the skin, it creates a little pocket uh, for itself and it just sits there. It's not actually within the trachea itself, delivering oxygen how it's supposed to be uh, delivering too. If the patient has like a cuff trach, drop the cuff, try to reseat the trach uh, as this might take the, the trach itself off of like the wall um, because sometimes the actual opening of the trach might be just pinned up against the wall and actually just delivering the air into the wall and actually creating a, uh, some sort of like resistance and therefore the patient's not actually getting uh, oxygen to the lungs. Uh, blind tracks are also just like really, really hard to kind of assess. So it's hard to really fix these in the pre-hospital setting and it, they're better off suited just 
being taken to the hospital, try to support them as best as you can, take them to the hospital so they can either be seen by an ER doctor and then hopefully an, an ENT specialist. I agree entirely. A patient with multiple blind tracts is not someone you want to be swapping a trach pre-hospital. I mean, it's not even a, a trach I want to change in the emergency department. So this oh, is someone that I, I, I would strongly encourage our providers, if you can, don't mess with that trach if you know they have blind tracts. And it's a really difficult cause of displacement to discover and fix. Yeah. One kind of note uh, to, to put in there and one kind of point of emphasis. The, if you do attach a BVM uh, to the trach, that first breath through the trach should always have end tidal CO2 attached. And it always should just be a gentle breath to just make sure that the trach is not dislodged, Okay. Um, and not only that too, like we were saying before, if it's in a blind track, it, you, you could get those bad race crispy treats. Yeah. And we keep coming back to that fact of you need to make sure that it's in the right place before you bag aggressively. I know it might be frustrating for us to say it over and over again, but it's so important because you can take a sick patient and make them so much worse by doing this and, and bagging into their, their skin. So make sure you're, you're in the right spot. So besides displacements, what about obstructions? Talk to me about obstructions, Dr. Earl. So obstruction is super common. Like we've talked about already, secretions go out through the trach. Things that you would normally cough up and swallow, things that you would normally just spit out, get stuck in the trach, and they crust on there, like we said, old applesauce. So that's really the number one cause for trachs, for patients with trachs to come in in respiratory distress, is they've got some sort of obstruction. Now, that can be from secretions, that can be from kind of like we talked about where the trach has become somewhat displaced and is up against a wall, so you're not able to breathe them adequately through there. But the whole point is that this is something you need to think about anytime you have a patient in respiratory distress with this trach. So it's one of the easiest ways to fix too, right? You take out the inner cannula, like we talked about last episode, you pinch the two wings on the, the inner cannula and gently draw it out. A lot of times you're gonna find a whole bunch of junk and garbage stuck onto that inner cannula which you can very easily clean. You can wipe the outside with gauze, and if you need to, you can use a saline flush to try to flush the inside of the cannula. Obviously, this is while the cannula is not in the patient because you don't want to flush a bunch of saline and junk into their trachea. That's bad news, right? That would there. be bad, right? That's kind of a, a bad test to put your patient through. But flush it, get it clean, try to put it back in the patient. I've actually seen uh, ENTs literally take out like the the inner tubes and whatnot and literally just rinse them under like just sink water yeah I've, I've definitely seen them do that before yeah it's it's not something that you need to do sterilely but likely the the easiest source you're going to have for something to wash this trach off is going to be your 10 cc syringe if you don't have an inner cannula there are some especially very small infant trachs that you may not have a cannula that's where you're going to move towards suctioning to try to clear that that cannula of any obstruction if after you have taken out the cannula, it either had obstructions that you've cleaned off or there were no obstructions. If they continue to have poor air movement, you need to consider other causes of obstruction. So this is where you're gonna move on to pre-oxygenation and then attempt deep suctioning. If after deep suctioning and all of this troubleshooting is complete, they continue to have issues, that's where you may need to start moving towards replacing the trach or taking the airway a different way. And let's talk a little bit about Putting a trach back in place or swapping a trach. How do you approach this? Oh, man. This is uh, a really, like, one of those maneuvers that is a little bit sphincter tightening. 
because a lot can go wrong in such a very short amount of time. And when things do go wrong, it's really, really hard to try to fix it. Um, but there are tools in our toolbox that we can use in order to kind of help us guide us through this process so we can actually do it correctly and as safely as possible for the patient. So like what I was saying in the last episode, the only time that you should be replacing a trach is if it is older than a week old, all right? And I'm going to reiterate this too. The reason being is because if it is a new trach and they have a new stoma within recently within one week, that stoma is not mature enough. It does not have the necessary fibrous tissue and healing around the stoma so it can easily collapse. You pull that trach to about, oh man, it's pretty much game over at that point. You do not want to pull that trach if it's less than a week old, okay? There's always a risk, even if like it is older than a week, but there's still kind of like relatively newish, is still a possibility that you can easily create a false passage if you're trying to replace uh, the trach. So you got to really be very, very careful. All that tissue is all like very, very, what we say, friable, meaning that it's like very, very uh, thin and it can easily rip apart and whatnot. So you got to be very, very careful with this. Okay. I want to emphasize something you just said. There are a lot of risks with doing this, right? So this is a conversation that each one of our medics needs to have with the patient or the power of attorney oh, absolutely. before they attempt to do any kind of non-critical trach exchange in the field. Oh, absolutely. If the patient's dying and the trach's sitting on the sidewalk way over there, you've got to manage that airway. But if a patient is having some respiratory distress, before you try to intervene on that trach, you need to have a conversation with the patient or their power of attorney as clinically relevant, right? If the patient's dying, you can't have this long conversation. But tell them that we have a partially functioning airway. I may be able to swap your trach and make this all better. It's completely possible that if I pull your trach out, you could lose your airway and we could be in a really bad place. Have that conversation with your patient or the power of attorney so that you are protected should something go wrong. Shared decision-making. Exactly. I utilize it all the time in the emergency department. Definitely have that shared decision-making conversation with the patient. Okay? Absolutely. Yeah, so assuming that everything goes right, you talk to the patient, their power of attorney and whatnot, they say, yeah, go ahead and uh, try it because, you know, the patient is definitely not feeling great and then they want uh, to feel better and whatnot. So once you get uh, permission to proceed with replacing the trach, treat it as if that you're intubating the patient. Make sure you have your backups, okay? And be prepared in order to take uh, the patient's airway if need be, Okay. That's a really, really big thing. Make sure you have the right replacement size trachs. You know, if a patient has like a Shiley 6.0, try to get a Shiley 6.0. And if you don't have, um, and the patient doesn't have those replacement trachs, always have an ETT as your backup, okay? You should, our medics should be able to carry like anything uh, as far as like all the different sizes of ETs and whatnot. And they can be readily used as a backup for these trachs, okay? That's a big one prep and like the positioning of the patient is also super super important too you want to try to like place the patient and slight extension you don't want to uh, hyper extend uh the the neck and whatnot because it could make the passageway a little bit too difficult in order to enter and whatnot so you want to just put it in just the slightest bit of extension but at the same time too you don't want to like not move the patient's neck at all because at that point you're probably just going to have like no 
area to work with, and it's going to be very hard to in order to try to get that replacement trach or your replacement ETT through there, okay? So there are two different ways that we can kind of uh, think about this, okay? If the trach is in place, okay, and you're just trying to replace it with a new trach or a new ETT, what you can do is that you can try to replace it over a bougie, okay? So what you can do is that you can take a normal adult bougie, cut it uh, uh, about like a third of the length off, and then what you can do is that you can try to railroad it like, you know, over like the old trach and then just, you know, take the old trach off and then just railroad uh, the new trach uh, over it, okay? You got to make sure that you don't put the bougie too far down because it'll end up probably getting right main stemmed and whatnot. Um, and then that's also not very good too. And if you're using an ETT rather than the replacement trait that the patient might have, you don't want to go too far with that ETT as well. Because if you're going too far, again, you're going to probably end up in the right main stem. You just want to just go f- just far enough where the balloon and the solid black lines are just past um, the stoma. And then you can go ahead and uh, inflate and make sure that everything's in place, you have your end title and all this other stuff that we've been talking about, okay? Yeah, such important points. I mean, the, the bougie, you're going to use it just like you would for an ET2. You put it to into the old trach, take the old trach out, put the new trach in over the, the bougie, or if you're using an ET tube, again, bougies and ET tubes are designed to go through the mouth, not through the trachea. So they're way longer than they need to be to use for a trach exchange. We definitely got to do a little bit of MacGyvering on this. Yeah, exactly. And just be be aware of the fact that if you use the bougie like you would for a normal upper airway, you're going to end up with the bougie coming out of the patient's big toe. You, you've got way too much bougie for that airway. Yeah. So what if we're not going to use the bougie? What else can we do? Well, if we're not going to be using the, the bougie um, and you're just, the, the tracheostomy is already, uh, the trach tube is already displaced, you can try to uh, attempt to feed the new trach or the ET through the stoma without the bougie. If you're gonna use the, the trach itself, the replacement trach, make sure that you remove the inner cannula first, and then you put the obturator in the actual replacement trach itself, and then try to pass it through the stoma, okay? Um, but once you do that, you gotta pull, and you think that you're in, you gotta pull that obturator out really, really quick and then put the inner cannula uh, in, back in there and then so that the patient can actually start breathing again. If you're trying to use an ETT to try to replace uh, a displaced tube, you can probably do it without the bougie as long as like you don't necessarily meet any resistance. If you meet some sort of resistance, that could potentially mean that you have now entered a false track or you're creating a false track. Don't try to shelve it in there. Don't try to force it in there. As long as you try to pass it in through and it goes in pretty smoothly, um, you're probably in the right place. Yeah, it's such an important point. If you're not railroading over a bougie and you're putting it in either with an obturator or you're just trying to insert it back through the stoma, such a high risk of making a new tract. So super, super important. Don't ever push against resistance. If you get any, start over. Um, But here's also another thing too, all right? So assuming that you can't actually get the replacement trach in, and assuming that you can't get like the ETT in there, and they don't have a history of like a laryngectomy or something along those lines, and then they start going south, that's when you have to kind of bail out, and you're going to have to treat the patient as if that you're about to like to intubate the patient, and then you know bail out and start 
ventilating uh, the patient from above, okay? You need to uh, make sure that you meet your pre-oxygenation goals um, and put the BVM over them and try to like give them that pre-oxygenation um, while also covering their stoma, making sure that they have at least, you know, the air is going from the mouth into the lungs, and then so then you can actually get that good gas exchange. Yeah, and that, that's a nightmare situation where you've tried everything you can to get the trach back in place, and you've basically ruled out being able to manage the airway via the stoma. Like you said, cover it up, try to manage it from above, uh, and, and get ready for a bumpy ride because these patients are likely going to have abnormal anatomy and be very difficult to manage. Let's say that our trach patient was everything was going smooth we're about to you know try to replace this trach and whatnot or even that you know even before that we roll up to the scene and this patient is not looking good this patient is in distress and they you do all your vital signs and they're starting to maybe even push into failure a little bit what are we doing yeah so like you said earlier a little sphincter tightening right this is a this is not a patient you want to see in the back of the box or in the emergency department uh, these patients are sick and they're difficult to manage. So when you see these patients who are now crossing over that line to respiratory failure, you're going to be doing what you talked about with the trach exchange and assessment, but you're going to do it a lot faster and you're going to escalate quickly. So when you walk onto a scene and you see a patient in respiratory distress, just like you would for any patient, you get them on oxygen immediately and you assess if they need a BVM, right? At the same time, you're going to ask family members for backup equipment and any pertinent history like we talked about, the really important history points for a trach. You're going to try to get that information as quickly as you can while you're quickly working through your patient's oxygen requirements. Again, before you do any oxygenation through the trach, you're making sure it's in the right spot. For patients who are vent dependent or are requiring BVM early, this is going to be a quick exchange. You're going to pop the vent off, take a quick look at the in inner cannula and make sure it's not obstructed, and put them back on the vent with the inner cannula back in place. These patients, you're, you're basically going to be trial and erroring as quickly as you can, right? So you're going to try to bag from above. That's not working. Okay, cover their mouth, bag from the trach. That's not working. You're going to continuously move forward quickly. You may get to a point where you need to uh, exchange their trach, but again, that's going to be pre-oxygenated as best as you can and only exchange their trach if you feel it's completely necessary. All of these moves that you're attempting are with end tidal CO2, right? You're checking to make sure you're getting air movement. If the patient's vent dependent and you switch them to a BVM, make sure you have a PEEP valve in place. These patients are likely on chronic PEEP support, and if you just take them off and put them on a regular BVM, they're going to crash on you. So make sure that you're giving them the support that you need. As always, if you need to do any airway interventions, pre-oxygenate as best as you can. Hopefully these patients just need the additional boost that you're going to give them with the oxygen or the BVM, but sometimes these patients may have an obstructed trach, in which case you're gonna do what we talked about earlier where you're going to exchange the trach, but so much of that is going to focus on rapidity. You're going to bag the patient as best you can, whether that's from above or below, and you're going to have everything set out, just like an, a, a rapid airway. You're going to pull that inner cannula, quickly exchange over a bougie, and at this point, you're going to choose between trach or ET tube based off of what you can get the fastest in the right size. These are really scary patients. These are not situations that I wish on any medic or any physician. 
So if you find yourself in this position, the best thing I can recommend is be mentally flexible and know the tools in your toolbox because you're going to have to jump back and forth between your potential approaches multiple times until you find what's going to help this patient. So what you're telling me is that I can go ahead and do this and I can uh, essentially do, uh, give some outstanding and fantastic care with these tips and these tricks. Absolutely. I mean, these, these trick patients are challenging, especially when they're sick, but every one of our medics is capable of taking care of these. All right. I believe you, Dr. Earl. <laughs> well, today was awesome. Uh, got to cover some really intense stuff that hopefully not everybody has to deal with on a daily basis. But thank you to everyone for joining us today. Keep in mind, show notes are online. Please shoot us your comments. Ask. We, we love to get survey results and see what you want to hear about. And we're going to hopefully continue to bring uh, more educational content your way. So until next time, see you later.